if I had to define how Jesus describes forgiveness in this text, it is that forgiveness is an ongoing act of releasing someone from paying a debt they owe or paying for a wrong that they've done. Forgiveness is an ongoing act of releasing someone from paying a debt that they owe or paying for a wrong that they've done. Why don't you take just a moment and think about somebody who owes you something or somebody who has wronged you. If you're unsure, think about anyone who you experience anger, resentment, or bitterness towards. That would be a good indicator that you are struggling with forgiveness. Maybe you haven't seen or talked to them in years. Maybe they've passed away. Maybe it's so, someone you'd no longer see, but you still struggle with bitterness or anger or resentment towards that person. Maybe it's somebody that you'll avoid at work tomorrow. Maybe it's somebody you're sitting next to. Don't nudge them too hard. Maybe it's somebody standing on this stage. Keep that person in mind as we walk through this text. And I believe God wants us to hear, I I believe he wants all of us to hear this great truth from Jesus that forgiveness is a gift for you. It's a gift for you. It's a gift for each one of us individually. God's gift for us, he forgives us. Yet this gift is meant to extend through us to others. This gift can't be stopped with us. Believe in this text, that's what Jesus is communicating to us, that God has given you this incredible gift. And this gift must extend through you. If you are in Christ, you can be free of anger, resentment, and bitterness. You really can. Can you imagine that, church? Can you imagine a world free of anger, bitterness, and resentment? Oh, how glorious would that be? And what we are learning here from Jesus is that he came to set us free, free from our sin, free from the penalty of sin, and free from the effects of sin, some of which is anger, bitterness, and resentment tied into unforgiveness. I love how Corey Tenboom says this, the, the, um, the lady who hid Jews in her house during the Holocaust, and she was, she was caught doing this and put in a concentration camp, and then she found, through God's power, the ability to forgive the Nazis, her captors. She says this, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. There is a way to be free from bitterness, anger, and resentment, and selfishness, and thinking about ourselves. Do you want to live your life free from these things? You can do that in Jesus Christ. We need to learn to accept God's forgiveness of us in Jesus Christ and to extend that forgiveness to others. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage. He gives us a he starts by giving us a pathway to forgiveness. So what we have here in verses 15 through 20, Jesus gives us a fourfold pathway to forgiveness. He starts in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, and so I believe in context here what Jesus is doing with his, disciple, with his disciples, with his followers, he's saying this needs to start at home. I mean, in, in, your, in your family, and then in your church family, he's speaking to the disciples. He's saying if your brother, and he's not saying just your blood brother, I think it applies to blood brother, if you can't forgive those who you're related to, if you can't forgive those you're closest to, how would you ever forgive people who are, you are, who you are further removed from? So he's teaching his disciples, if your brother, yes, that could be your, your blood brother, your actual brother, 
or your brother in Christ. I think that's primarily what he's getting at if we look at it here in context, but also your fellow mankind. So Jesus says, if your brother, either blood brother, brother in Christ, or fellow mankind sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the pathway to forgiveness, to seeking forgiveness, the first one is to go to the offender alone. If somebody has wronged you or if somebody owes you something, it, and this doesn't mean that you have to forgive all debt, right? I mean, if someone, if, if you borrow something to someone and they say they'll pay you back, there's a time and a place to expect that. This has more to do with this deep offense. And so the pattern, the pathway that Jesus gives us to seeking forgiveness is to go to that person, to the person who's offended us alone, one-on-one. This wouldn't apply if there's danger, if there's been abuse, if there could be harm. Okay, so Jesus isn't getting into the detailed nuance of where we need to bring forgiveness and let forgiveness bear in our lives. There's, there's people who have been abused, who have been hurt, who there's dangerous situations that you still need to forgive. We're going to see that in this text, that Jesus calls us to forgive the hardest of offenses, the deepest of cuts, the most severe wounds. He calls us to that, but he's not saying run into a dangerous situation. This is the normative pattern or pathway to seek forgiveness. So please don't hear me saying if there's danger or abuse to go one-on-one. This is just the normative pattern for how we interact as the people of God. If you've been offended by someone, what's your first reaction? To complain? To bicker? To badmouth? To slander? Or is it to do what Jesus instructs us as sheep to do? Go to that person one-on-one. How hard is that? But how good is that? How sweet is it when you've been offended and you can go to the person and tell them how you've been offended? To to seek forgiveness, that's step number one. Step number two, if that doesn't work, Jesus says, first, go to them alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Verse 16, but if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, he's not saying witnesses as in they saw the offense happen. He's saying witnesses, people who can, who can help to navigate the situation. Some, some moderators, some people who can, who can be there to support the person's character. They can say, well, this, this person feels offended this way. This is in line with their character. They're not attacking you. This is a true thing that has to be dealt with. Jesus is saying the pathway to forgiveness is first go to the person one-to-one. If that doesn't work, if the person doesn't see their offense, if the person won't, won't admit or confess their offense, if forgiveness can't be found one-to-one, then bring another person or two, a trusted brother or sister in Christ, and have a sit-down with this person and say, here's how I've been offended. And you have some witnesses, some people there to help the conversation move along. If that doesn't work, step three is to tell it to the church. That's why I think Jesus is primarily speaking to Christians here. I think he's saying our forgiveness does need to, and we see this biblically, Jesus teaches us to forgive our enemy, right? He says, if your enemy takes your coat, give him your other. If your enemy hits you on the cheek, turn and let them hit you on the other. Jesus teaches us to forgive our enemies. But in context here, he's teaching us to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, tell it to the church. So if you go one-on-one and that doesn't work and you bring another trusted person or two and that doesn't work, he says, tell it to the church, to the the group of people that you are committed to, that this person is committed to. This isn't me telling you an offense of somebody who isn't a part of our body. It's 
this offense happened in our body. Brothers and sisters are not getting along. My sister harmed me this way. My brother harmed me this way. You tell it to the church. This is why membership is important at the church. Who, who would we bring an offense to at this church if, if it gets to this point? Would we just confess it Sunday morning with people who are just attending? Maybe they've been here for a week or two. No, we would, we would call the members of the church together. Those who have covenanted. Maybe we would start in a community group. I mean, if this is an offense that's happening in a smaller section and it's not being resolved, maybe we would just go there and say, okay, this smaller group, we, we need to talk about this. We need to discuss this offense because these parties can't get through it. And if that doesn't work, we would call the members of the church together. And we would say, here's the offense. So let's pray, let's plead, let's, let, let's beg God to bring us unity, to grant us forgiveness to help us work through our anger, our bitterness, our resentment. And then the pattern that Jesus gives us has a fourth element. If that doesn't work, if the person is unwilling to confess their sin or to seek forgiveness or to grant forgiveness, in the midst of that, step four is to treat the offender as an unbeliever. Verse, 13, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, that's the two or three witnesses. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It means if this person is unwilling to, to find forgiveness, if this relationship can't be restored and fixed, treat, if this person will not confess and own up to their offense, you treat them as an unbeliever. I don't know that that means kicking the person out of the church or excommunicating the person from the church. I think it means treat them as an unbeliever. What do we do with unbelievers? Well, we don't exactly know who's an unbeliever who gathers here on a Sunday morning or not, but we proclaim the gospel to them. And if, if you have a friend who's a non-Christian and you bring them to church, and, and I hope more and more we have non-believers coming to church to hear the truths of God and to consider it, if you are an unbeliever here this morning, we don't ask you to leave because you don't agree with what we teach. We, we want you to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't want you to believe you're saved if you're not saved, and we want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so in this pattern, this pathway to seeking forgiveness, if steps one, two, and three don't work, we treat the unrepentant, the, the person, the unrepentant sinner, the offender who's unwilling to reconcile, we treat them as an unbeliever, meaning there's no evidence that you're saved, therefore we're going to proclaim the gospel to you and invite you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the pattern that Jesus gives us for seeking forgiveness here in this passage. And then he moves on from there to give us a parable to teach us about forgiveness. This is where I want to spend the most of our time digging into this parable. Verse 21 and then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's a great question, isn't it? How often will my brother sin against me and I continue to forgive him? You ever been in a relationship, a pattern where it's just sin after sin after sin, offense after offense after offense, annoyance after annoyance after annoyance, comment after comment after comment, and Peter's saying, Jesus, there's people that drive me nuts. Do I have to keep forgiving them? They keep wronging me. Do I have to keep forgiving them? How many times is too much where I say, forget it, you're done, my forgiveness has expired? Listen how Jesus says. So, so that's, Peter comes to him with this question. He says, as many as seven times? 
Now, in, in Jewish tradition, if you forgave someone three times, that was enough. That was the, the, the right opportunity for them to try and reconcile, to seek forgiveness, to receive forgiveness, to grant forgiveness. And if three didn't work, you were okay moving on in Jewish tradition. And so Peter, being a good Jewish boy, he knows the Jewish tradition, he knows the Jewish law, he, he thinks he's, he's one-upping the Jewish law, and he says, as many as seven times, Jesus, that, that must be pretty good, right? For me to forgive someone seven times, that would be a big sacrifice. I mean, he's got to be thinking that Jesus is going to be like, yeah, Peter, that's amazing. You are better than the Jewish tradition. You are a great guy. Forgive them seven times. How does Jesus answer? Verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. If you're a math whiz, that's 490 times. Now, Jesus isn't telling us to forgive 490 times. And then after that, we stop forgiving. I mean, good luck with that anyway, right? Make a list of 490 check marks and see if you can even keep track. He's not saying forgive 490 times. He's, he's saying that our forgiveness is to be ongoing. It's to be infinite. It's to have no expiration date. It's to have no cap number. These are symbolic Numbers that he's giving his disciples to say, continue to forgive, continue to forgive. You live a lifestyle of perpetual forgiveness. In fact, 70, and I, and I don't know that this is exactly what Jesus is getting at here, but 70 were the number of elders, Israelite elders appointed in the Old Testament to rule the people. It became the Sanhedrin, the group of leaders who condemned Jesus to die on the cross. Might Jesus be saying, forgive those who condemn you to death? Might that symbolic number of 70 be, be Jesus telling Peter that even I, the Son of Man, am going to forgive those who have condemned me to die? 70 times 7. 7 is a symbolic number in Scripture. It means completeness or wholeness. It was the number of days of creation, and over and over again, the number 7 is used in the Scriptures. So Jesus may be symbolically saying 70 times 7 infinite, whole, complete. True forgiveness has no expiration date. True forgiveness has no limit. It has no cap number. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Jesus is saying this is what Christians ought to do. This is how we ought to live. Peter, my follower, forgive 70 times 7. It's ongoing. It's continual. You don't reach a point where you cap forgiveness and stop offering it. And then he goes on to give us the parable, the master's forgiveness. Verse 30, uh, pick it up in verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Here's the parable of the forgiving master, the master who offered forgiveness. Now, in modern terms, the 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of $6 billion dollars. I don't think any of you run with Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. That's an unpayable debt for you. So what Jesus is communicating here, the master, and Jesus in this parable is the master. The master 
has you as the servant, you have an unpayable debt to the master. Six billion dollars that this servant owes the master and the master said, it's forgiven. I forgive you of this debt. I release you of this debt. Look at verse 27. Out of pity for him. And I don't like the translation pity there. This would be better translated compassion. There's this internal compassion for this servant. The master, as he, as he holds the servant to this debt and the dirt servant falls on his knees and says, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. The master, with compassion for the servant, releases him and forgives his debt. The word release and forgave are the same root word. So really what's happening here, what Jesus is showing here is that this master forgave him this incredible debt, the equivalent of $6 billion. It's a debt that the servant could not pay. He couldn't pay it. He could go and he could work his entire life. He could invest his money. He could work 17 jobs. In this economy of the New Testament, this servant would not be able to earn this money to pay off the debt. That's what Jesus is communicating, not the, the number $6 billion. He's communicating it's an unpayable debt. There's nothing you can do to pay this debt to be released of this offense except for the master has compassion on him. His heart is changed towards the servant. And it says that he released the servant and forgave him his debt. You are released. You are free to go. And not to go and find payment and bring it back. That's why this, this word released and forgave are connected. The same root word. He releases the servant to go. Now, how often in forgiveness do, do we release someone? We say, yep, I forgive you. And we release them on their way. But yet we continue to cling to it. We, we continue to want them to come back and to pay us back. That's what, not what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying the master released him, you're free to go. And he forgave his debt. He dropped expectation of the servant coming back with the $6 billion. That's the imagery here. And then Jesus goes on to give us the last part of this parable is the servant's unforgiveness. Verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii and seizing him, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had taken, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and he said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, that $6 billion, because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also your heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the master forgave the servant $6 billion. The equivalent of what the servant is asking his servant to forgive him is $12,000. And he's unwilling to do it. 
So the comparison here, the picture that Jesus is giving us is that he's forgiven us this, this insurmountable debt, this unpayable debt, and the offenses that others have done to us, the, the things that other people owe us, it's just a sliver of the chasm that we have with God, our Father. The distance between God, our Father, and us because of our sin, because of our debt, is so wide. It's unpayable. And he says, by comparison, any offense that anyone has ever done to you is a sliver. $6 billion forgiven versus $12,000. And the servant is unwilling to forgive his servant of that debt. Rather than letting forgiveness flow through him, he's like, a, he's like a cul-de-sac. He's not a roadway. Or he's like a stagnant pond. How much more beautiful is it to sit at a, at a lake with streams flowing through it and there's fresh water than a stagnant pond with stink and grime? Or a, a cul-de-sac in a beautiful mountain town where there's no view, there's a big house at the end and there's a mountain behind it and you can't get through. And so you have to leave and you have to drive around to a different place. Jesus is saying that for us to, to, to take forgiveness from him and to keep it to ourselves is like that. Instead, God's plan for us, God's desire for us is to be like a roadway or a river that flows through. God's forgiveness of us is to flow through us into others. And in fact, he even says that if it doesn't, if we don't forgive others, we may not be saved. Look at verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, that is to actually expect us to repay our debt which we can't repay. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, salvation is a free gift. We are saved by grace through faith. Jesus is telling us, though, that there's, there's this act of forgiveness, that God's forgiveness of us is to flow through us. And if we are unwilling to forgive others, that is a sign that we haven't received genuine forgiveness from God. We are forgiven. It is a gift for you to extend through you to others. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus is saying if we are unwilling to forgive others, we don't understand his great forgiveness of us. The way that he treats us is how we ought to move out into life to treat others. Do you want to be free of anger? Do you want to be free of resentment? Do you want to be free of bitterness? Is there somebody in your life who's, who's controlling you by actions or offenses and, and you just feel paralyzed, learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. Now, we need to stop and just talk about forgiveness for a moment because there's some really bad teaching on forgiveness out there. So I want to take just a moment and talk about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. How many of you, I'm going to ask for a show of hands on this, how many of you have heard the phrase, forgive and forget? Put your hand up nice and high. Most of us. 
And most of us think it's this biblical teaching that God forgives and he forgets. Well, the scriptures teaches us that he forgives our sin and he removes it from us. The psalm says, so far as our transgressions are, has he removed our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins. He has cleansed us. He has forgiven us. He has removed it. But there's no teaching that God forgives and forgets and that, that he doesn't remember our sin. And there's nowhere that teaches us to, to, to forget. In fact, we can't forget certain things, no matter how hard you try. Forgiveness doesn't equal forgetting. You don't have to stuff a memory. You don't have to, you don't have to get rid of a memory in order to offer the person true and genuine forgiveness. Especially if there's injury or injury or damage or harm. You don't forget and go back to that person. Right? You, you need to have some guardrails. You need to protect yourself. Some of you have experienced abuse. Forgiving that abuser doesn't mean forgiving that abuser doesn't mean forgetting what they did and just operating as though it never happened. Something in your heart has to happen so that you can forgive them from your heart like Jesus teaches us to here in this passage. But you don't forget what they did and just go on waltzing through life with them like it'll never happen again. It doesn't mean ignoring. It doesn't mean that you sweep the offense under the rug, you ignore it. We all know what that does, right? It festers. It festers. So forgiveness isn't forgetting, it's not ignoring, it's not minimizing. I mean, if something's bothering you, if something's sitting with you, if you can't get something off your heart and mind, you don't need to just minimize it or ignore it. Maybe that's a sign that you need to walk through Matthew 18, 15 through 20 with that person. Maybe you need to go and you seek, need to seek forgiveness. Go one to one. Go one to two, two to three. It's not repaying or having repayment. I mean, how, how often is it that, that we, we have an issue with somebody and we tell them they're forgiven and yet we still want them to pay for what they did to us? Anyone ever been there? I grin because I know what that's like. We all experience that. That's not genuine forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness is, is not expecting repayment. It's releasing them from repayment. Nor is it restoration. Now, we would love to see forgiveness lead to restoration, but restoration is for things to be as they once were. Genuine forgiveness does not have to lead to restoration. It doesn't mean that things are going to be back to how they were in the glory days, to things, that things are going to be back to how they were before the offense happened. It doesn't necessarily mean any of that. Here's what forgiveness does mean. It means a heart change. Regardless of the external circumstances, regardless of the restoration, regardless of what happens on the other party's part, forgiveness means that you have heart change. Look at how Jesus says this, teaches us this in the text. Verse 27. Out of pity, again, the, the Greek word there is better translated compassion. Out of compassion for him, out of this, this heart change, out of this seeing the person in debt, the person who's wronged, out of seeing that person in their state of need and having compassion on them. The master of the servant released him and forgave his debt. It was this internal heart change. It wasn't this promise of, 
Well, master, I'll, that, that's what the servant's trying to do, right? Master, I will go and I will work. I will repay your debt. And the master knows you can't repay this debt. So something changed in the master's heart the way that he saw the servant. It was compassion and he released him from payment. He didn't say, I'll give you 30 days. Go and figure it out and come back to me and then we'll repair this relationship then. I'll forgive you if you can pay me back. No, it was, you're released. There's this heart change, this heart of compassion. And then verse 35, Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, that's to not forgive us, if you do not forgive your brother, where? Talk back to me so I know you're looking at the word. If you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Heart change. Forgiveness is having a change of heart. It's a supernatural gift from God where God changes your heart towards a person who has offended you, who has wronged you. Doesn't mean things may be as they were before, but God has released that person from your debt, from repayment. God has softened your heart. It's a release of repayment. You are able to say, regardless of what happens in the future, regardless of what this person does or doesn't do, my anger, my bitterness, my resentment towards them is gone. I've been able to release my expectations of what they ought to do in this situation or of what they owe me because of what they've done to me. And then it's treating others as God has treated you in Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. To be Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. We are like the servant who has a $6 billion debt, the unpayable debt, and every wrong, every offense done to us is just a sliver of that amount. And God has forgiven us. He has forgiven you in his son, Jesus Christ. He has paid it all. He has paid the debt. And so how can you not bend that out towards others? God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Therefore, church, we ought to forgive others. A few application questions as we wind down. First one is, how is your heart towards those who have wronged you? Maybe you came up with a name at the beginning of the sermon. Maybe you haven't come up with a name, but just just think about it. How, How is your heart towards those who have wronged you? Are you harboring bitterness? Do you have anger? Do you have resentment? Do you want them to pay for what they've done? This is a hard process, okay? Even as I say that, do you want them to pay for what they've done? I I know some of you, and I know what has been done to some of you, and I want those people to pay for what they've done. That means that we need to continue to work towards forgiveness. If we want somebody to pay for the wrong that they've done to us, we haven't truly, genuinely, deeply forgiven them. Or maybe we have and we're still in the process of experiencing the fruit and the benefit of that forgiveness, right? This is a process. But ask yourself, how is your heart towards those who have wronged you? Next question is, have you gone to them in the pattern of Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20? If your heart is hard towards people who have wronged you, if you're experiencing anger, bitterness, resentment, rage towards people who have wronged you, there is a clear pathway from God Jesus gives it to us, his sheep, for how to work through that. Have you ever done that? 
the person who you're experiencing anger, rage, bitterness, resentment towards, have you ever sat down with them one-on-one and tried to work through it? If you haven't, that's your next step, church. Do that today. If you have done that and didn't go anywhere, find one or two others. Sit down. Try and work through it. If that doesn't work, talk to me and the elders and we'll try and help you navigate the next step. Look at Jesus' promise here. I didn't even touch on this earlier when we came through this, but he promises, verse 20 of chapter 18, for where two and three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus promises that his presence, his spirit, will be in the midst of our seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness. Sometimes we don't follow the pattern of Matthew 18, 15 through 20 because we fear what it'll do, right? We're going to get into a he said, she said, a he said, he said, a she said, she said. We're going to get into a sticky situation that there's no way out of. It's going to be a blame game and it's going to turn into a fight. But Jesus has promised that when we gather in his name to seek forgiveness, he will be there. So church, have you done this? Is there anyone in your life who you need to do this with? Do it as soon as you can. Second question, have you, third question, have you released them from repayment? And maybe you've said the words, I forgive you. Have you really? Are you still expecting something from them? Have you released the person who's wronged you of repayment? And this is a freedom for you. Don't let somebody who's wronged you control you. Which brings the fourth question. Have you been released from the bondage of expecting repayment? I mean, this is really where where forgiveness gets beneficial for you. If you haven't forgiven somebody, you are expecting something from them. True freedom, gospel freedom, comes when we can say, I've forgiven you regardless of what you do, regardless of if you change, regardless of if you If you own up to your offense, I forgive you. Last question. Have you savored the depth of God's forgiveness of you in Christ? And that's really what it boils down to. Have you savored the depth of God's forgiveness of you in Christ? That God, the true, the perfect one, the one who lived the perfect life, Jesus lived the perfect life, the life that we're incapable of living, died in your place for your sins, for your unforgiveness, for your anger, for your bitterness, for your resentment, for your rage. Jesus paid the penalty for that. Have you savored that? for your sins of omission and your sins of commission, the things that you do intentionally that hurt others and the things that you do unintentionally that hurt others, have you savored the fact that God has forgiven you in Jesus Christ for all of that? That Jesus hung on the cross and he looked out at those who crucified him and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, it is finished. If we're struggling with forgiveness, we need to remember that it's a gift for us, that God has forgiven us in unlimited amount of times. There's no depth, there's, there's, no, there's no capstone. 
There's no timeline, there's no expiration date on God's forgiveness of you and me in Jesus Christ. And if we truly grasp that church, if we truly get that, God will supernaturally work in us to be able to flow forgiveness out into the most heinous of situations in our life. It's a supernatural gift that God gives his kids. We're going to remember that now by taking communion. Jesus says, as often as you do this, as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, remember me. Remember God's great forgiveness of you in Jesus the Christ. And so this is a time for us to savor the depth of God's forgiveness in Jesus. Let me pray, and then we'll respond with communion. God, I confess that forgiveness is hard, and it's hard because it's not a natural thing. It's nothing that we can do as a natural man or a woman. We can't muster up the willpower to forgive. We can't do it. It's a supernatural gift that comes only from you. This is a distinct mark of the Christian life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray now that we would savor the depth of your forgiveness of us. I, Andrew, am a great sinner in need of forgiveness. And I've been offered that in you, Jesus, an infinite amount of times. I thank you for that. May I extend that to others. God, I pray that you would wash that truth over us now. I know there's people in this room who struggle with the ability to forgive, and I pray that you would supernaturally empower us to receive your forgiveness and extend it to others. For your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray. Amen.